Radio. Catholic Converts, an interview with Dr. Wanda Skowronska. So we're joined here today with Wanda Skowronska, author of To Bonagilla from Somewhere, who has recently released a new book, Catholic Converts from Down Under and All Over. Wanda, thanks so much for being with us here at Cradio. Thank you for having me today. It's a pleasure. It's an absolute pleasure. Um, so I guess, Wanda, would you mind telling us a little bit about yourself and the work that you do? Firstly, um, my parents were refugees here after World War Two. So I was born in Australia but kind of grew up like a typical kind of, if you can use the term, migrant kid, um, you know, learning of all the struggles in the old country and so on. And um, But it was a very Catholic kind of upbringing. I lived through the turbulent Vatican two years, but again, um, going to a Catholic school, it hardly affected yeah. the life there. Um, I can remember all the old sodalities like the uh, Holy Angels Association and the Legion of Mary and the Children of Mary and so on. But I also remember the huge changes that happened in the 70s. I actually studied to be a teacher at first and then I became a, a school psychologist because I liked working with children and helping children. So I ended up um, doing a degree, a master's degree and became a psychologist at Macquarie and then um, working in psychology, I ended up being very interested in um, the stories people would tell me of their lives, being very impressed by human resilience and the human search to survive no matter what or to find the truth no matter what. And, um, and this is in little children that I would often see this quality and I thought how important it is in life, you know, to have this kind of courage this uh, and to keep going and to kind of search and search until you find. And um, one thing led to another and I ended up um, finding a lot of uh, works on psychology at this marvellous organisation called uh, Family Life International, which I happened to accidentally wander into one day many years ago. And and they actually had the works of all these psychologists on their shelves and I found them there and um, I asked the then director of the organisation, Gail Instance, if I could borrow them and she said, take them home, read them. So I did and that led to a kind of a conversion within my profession as a psychologist to becoming aware of the theological anthropology of the church. I had no idea. Before that, I'd had a totally secular training, even though I was a Catholic, because there are no very few places in Australia where you can get this theological anthropology in the social sciences. So what happened, I then became much more interested in the Catholic side of things, and one thing led to another, and I ended up at the John Paul II doing a doctorate there and finished that, and then in the meantime was putting my... Um, interest in how people think and why they make the decisions they make into not only writing about the migrants who came here post-World War II, many of whom were Catholics who, you know, adapted to Australia, but also um, wondering how it is that people found their way, say, from one set of world, one worldview, one set of beliefs to another. So, 
um, in the book, Catholic Converts from Down Under and All Over, I met people who were Zoroastrian who told me how they found their way out of that set of beliefs. I, I, I met people who were um, Lutheran, Anglican, uh, atheists, and I told the story of a gay Marxist who became a Catholic. Um, really, I was stunned, and I think all my life I felt very um, moved by the fact that people would answer that call within them. And so, as we all know, we're living in an era of um, doom and gloom where people are saying, oh, the church, you know, uh, these problems and those problems. And at the same time, I'm hearing all these stories of, you know, that people are sparked by the truth, but they're not out on the main highways and byways. And um, so it was just part of my, I suppose, my background as a psychologist, my background as a Catholic, and my background um, just being interested in the stories people tell that kind of fused together to kind of uh, lead to this book. Wow, that's amazing. Now, with your new book, which was just recently released, Catholic Converts Down Under and All Over, would you mind telling us a little bit about this book? Um, well, the idea came to me some years ago because um, I remember hearing convert stories all my life, but I never thought of doing anything about it. I mean, I read collections of them and I, like everybody in the world, I was stunned by uh, Scott Hahn's um, conversion story. It really impressed me immensely and his wife, Kimberly Hahn. Um, I read other collections of conversion stories, but um, after a while, when I was hearing ordinary stories, and not every story I heard is in this book, but for example, I met a lovely elderly Armenian man called Jack Simonian, who's passed away, you know, but I remember he told me quite simply over a cup of tea that in the block of units in which he lived, he had converted two families to Catholicism. And I remember sitting there thinking, who knows this? Or who, who, you know, he just worked on it quietly. He'd gone and met them, simple hospitality, questions, answers. Um, and he'd been there. He'd helped them with going to the find the RCIA and so on. And then I heard other stories just out of the blue. I remember uh, there was a Chinese man standing outside St Mary's Cathedral. I struck up a conversation and he told me... Um, you know, I'm here because uh, today is the beatification mass in Rome for John Paul II. And I said, um, so you're a Catholic? He said, well, I was an atheist all my life wow. until the day of uh, John Paul II's funeral. And he said, what happened was I'd finished work, I came home, switched on TV, and I thought, oh, there's nothing on, no sport, no, you know, sort of daily kind of shows, nothing interesting. But what's this, a funeral? And he said something captivated me and I watched it. And then I heard a bit about his life because they gave a bit of a biography. And he said by the end of that one hour of watching the funeral, he said, I realised I wanted to become a Catholic. <laughs> Amazing how even, you know, at watching a funeral on TV can convert somebody. So it really struck me, you know, this thing of the Holy Spirit blows where and when he will. Mm -hmm. And people have asked questions 
um, always, I think it's not enough for us to just know how much money we're earning and what we're going to buy with it. I think people deep down keep asking those questions and I just take it from Fides at Ratio. I think that's the best summary of the questions every person asks and they are, who am I? Where have I come from? And where am I going? Why is there evil? What is there after this life? These are the questions we find in the sacred writings of Israel and also in the Veda and the Avesat. We find them in the writings of Confucius and Lao Tse and in the preaching of the Tirankara and Buddha. They are questions which have their common source in the quest for meaning and they have always compelled the human heart. I really love that, in that extract, the term, these are the questions that have compelled the human heart because that's what I've observed to be true, that people are drawn, they're they're compelled to follow a line of questioning and that's the case with most of the converts that I met and um, they rejoice at finding, you know, the, the... end point of their searching but the the beginnings were really um kind of quite tortuous and quite difficult and full of angst in many places um and loneliness terrible loneliness at the outset of the questioning but um i was just moved by these journeys because i'm being a cradle catholic and thinking well i've always known there's a pope there's god there's our lady how would i be if i didn't know it i try to imagine how would I be not having this and then hearing about it for the first time? How would I respond? And so that led to my uh, further questioning. And then when I met more converts, um, and I have to mention here in particular a friend of mine, Jocelyn Headley, who was an Anglican who converted, she told me her story and I was very moved by it. Um, And I thought, I got this inspiration when we were talking um, that, ah, I'll have to put these conversion stories together. And it was just like bingo. In that moment, I thought I knew I had to do it to counteract the dark kind of waves of despondency in our era about things of the spirit and things of faith. And I thought I'll do it. And I, yeah, and it was a few years project and collecting them one by one and uh, talking to people, but um, it was a great voyage of discovery for me as well. Mm-hmm. And um, yes, it's uh, and and that's how it ended up. A few stories were published in annals at the outset, and um, then uh, I started to read other collections of stories and realised that there'd never been published a collection of conversion stories in Australia. There had been Australian writers who had written up individual stories or who had done an anthology of stories that, say, came from England or from elsewhere but not an authentically Aussie collection of stories. So um, I was really impelled to to put Australia on the map in that sense. So that's how it started. (laughs) Did you have other inspirations as well that inspired you to write this book? I'd have to say it's mainly hearing the stories of the converts and being an inveterate listener to stories 
And I realise that stories pervade human history. I mean, Christ spoke in parables, you know, and so we all respond individually to stories. That's how we learn about our our faith. But I was just struck by these stories because it's not like Marco Polo travelling from one country or across countries. It's not like the explorers. This is like more incredible than leaving one planet and, say, going to Mars. This is more incredible than Star Trek and Star Wars combined. This is actually leaving your entire known universe and then travelling to an unknown. And that very concept fascinated me. How do people leave the known world? How do they put up with the disapprobation in their families? How do they put up with the questioning that happens sometimes? And, um, for example, there was a one of the converts, Henry, he went to the local Anglican school in Sydney. It was actually St Andrews. And he said he walked past the church um, that's down at the rocks, St Patrick's. And he said something attracted him to it. He went inside and he picked up a pamphlet at the back. And this is all to say pamphlets at the back of a church are very good. Some people respond to them. And he picked it up and it was the Truth Society. And he read it and he thought, hmm, I think I can answer this a bit better. I think I I can, you know, I'd love to get into a, a discussion with whoever wrote this. And as if God immediately heard his prayer, um, I don't know how long afterwards it was, but he found himself in the domain. And in the domain, um, they used to have what they called like a speaker's corner every Sunday where people would get up. It wasn't called that. It, it imitated the London speaker's corner. Um, people would get up and give a talk and then people would come up and have a dispute or argue or give a contrary point of view. And he found a priest, a priest there. His name was Father Peter Little, a Jesuit, who was up there. Father Peter Little is one of the great gems of the church, of blessed memory now. He always said he wanted to die on the feast day of St Peter and St Paul throughout his life and that's exactly the day he died on. Yes, that's one of the, he loved the Gospels, loved the Scriptures, had all the languages. So there he was in Hyde Park, Father Peter Little, um, and Henry happened to walk by and heard him say something and he said, no, no, I can answer that one. And so he went up and it was something to do with the origins of the church. Well, the dispute, very civilised, but it ended up, lasting quite a long time and Henry couldn't stay away the next week he kept coming back and disputing with him and in the end um, certain things started to kind of trigger um, questions and his outlook now he came from a complete like from a family of Anglicans and so he had to then by himself start asking these questions and when he was at university he met a chaplain called Father um, Peter King and then one thing led to another and he he went and became converted as the only member of his family who became a Catholic. Now the thing is it's okay if you're a Christian in one denomination and change but what if you're a Muslim? And I did speak to some Muslims who spoke of their conversions and the long journeys um, one of them who I wrote under the name Saba in the story, not her real name, but um, and you'll understand why in a second, um, she said that she was always drawn 
to the fact that the Christians seemed to behave differently. She said she wanted to know what was in them. This was when she was in um, Egypt sometime before coming to Australia. And then she came to Australia and had many events, tragedies and, and, you know, twists and turns in her life. But she couldn't stop being attracted to Catholicism. And one day she found herself, I remember her telling me this, she found herself in a church in Cabramatta, the Sacred Heart Church, And she walked in and she looked around and a priest came up to her and said, can I help you? And she said, I'm looking for the light. I'm looking for the Holy Spirit. And the priest said, you've come to the right place. Let me show you the light and the Holy Spirit. And he took her and he started this process of speaking to her and the conversions. And she was a very happy convert. She was just delighted to find the truths of the Catholic Church um, and, you know, is a very fervent convert. Um, But when her family found out in Egypt, um, she said that basically um, some of the male members of the family were not very happy about it and even made threatening comments. She was going to go and travel to Egypt at one point, but she wondered if she really should or shouldn't. And she did a novena to Our Lady, being a Catholic then. And on the ninth day, I think, one of her brothers rang and said what he'd do to her at the airport, and it wasn't very pretty. <laughs> you know, it was like violence and, and so on. But Because um, she, she had come from such a strong um, Muslim family. Not saying that all Muslim families are like that. I'm just saying that this had happened on this occasion. So she got the answer. She said, I think I will stay in Australia and continue my work here. And her, you know, she's um, been very um, much a great witness for the faith. So sometimes it's it's at tremendous cost that a person will convert. And I I think it's always a cost, but sometimes it's at the risk of one's own life. Um, I think one of the stories that really particularly stayed in my mind, I mean, all of them stayed in my mind, but one of them was told to me several years ago by a Russian because I included a few stories that were not only Australian to convince people that Australia isn't only the last country before Antarctica, that we are part of the wider world. We're not just at the end of the world before you fall off at the edge. (laughs) Um, But I met this lady at a conference And she was Russian, but she spoke Polish and I can speak Polish. And I I remember um, meeting her and just asking her, um, how come, you know, you're Russian (laughs) and you're a Catholic? Because most Russians are Russian Orthodox. And she said, I'll tell you the story. And she told the story of how she um, was brought up a communist and the head of the Komsomol Youth League. She was a very fervent communist, but she said, one phrase in her youth stayed in her mind and the phrase was, Jesus Christ was a very dangerous man, have nothing to do with him. And she thought, I wonder why. So just that little question, I wonder why. So what happened? She grew up and in the 1980s, it turns out she was sent to do her work in the Ukraine, which This is before the fall of the Soviet Union. And in the Ukraine, they have Catholic churches, the Uniate churches, and she walked past one one day as she finished work and she thought, I wonder what's inside. 
and she kind of crept up to it, and I mean almost with shaking knees, thinking, what's going to happen? And she walked inside the church, which was open, and she had this incredible sense, someone is here, but I can't see them, but somebody up the front. But who? And she just sat there, and she had this sense, I suppose it was some spiritual moment in her life and then she went home and after that she couldn't stay away she just kept coming and um, nobody at mass would ever speak to her because they thought she was a KGB agent and a provocateur (laughs) sitting up the back noting who was going to mass and so she sat there in isolation trying to work out what the story was that there was a a god there's um, Joseph, Jesus, Holy Spirit, there's somebody called Maria, and she's trying desperately to put this story together. And But and she liked it. She liked being in the church. And finally, she went up to one of the people in the church who were, who were attending Mass, and she said, excuse me, can you please tell me where I can find a Bible in Russian? She spoke Russian. They spoke Russian back to her. And one of them had the courage to say, okay, I'll get you one. So they finally got her a Bible in Russian. She went home and read it from just about from cover to cover. She said she just couldn't stop reading it. She said she got the sense of it. She was reading the New Testament in particular. And she said, yes, this makes sense. She said she knew she had to become, you know, whatever they were. And they were kind of Catholic. Um, And she said, eventually... Uh, She and her children, she was a single mother living with two girls who ended up following her to the church and they were going to denounce her to the communist authorities because you're not allowed to go to a Catholic church. It's a dangerous place. But in the end, they ended up listening to her story and they became touched and they also got converted. So there was a triple baptism on the feast of St. Mark of the Archangel in 1989 and she now is one of the... um, You'd call it a great evangelizer in Russia. She teaches at the seminary in St. Petersburg. She'll, she, you know, there are some courses about which she'll speak. She's very much involved in pro-life. And I had the great privilege of visiting her in Russia at the Cathedral of the Immaculate Conception because I'd, I knew her story by then and I was just so impressed with the work um, that she did. And she, I mean, fancy being daunted by converting many Russians after you know who were atheist and communist after the fall of the Soviet Union but of course there is a spiritual revival going on in Russia many are converting to their orthodox faith and there's she always maintains very good ecumenical relations with all those that she meets but she said there are conversions to Catholicism and the churches in Moscow that I witnessed um, were pretty always full not that there are many churches there, but the ones that are there were full. But so were the Orthodox ones, because I saw some of them as well. But she risked everything to become a, a Catholic. And she said she found out something interesting, that in her family, two or three generations back, there was a Polish ancestor. So in her Russian family, which would have mainly been Orthodox, and of course she was brought up a communist, but there was one Polish Catholic and that Polish Catholic had handed down a rosary to the Russian family, but they didn't know what to do with it, but they handed it from generation to generation. And she had been handed the rosary because 
the family didn't know what to do with it and nobody really. They thought, would you like to have this? And she had said yes. And she said now she realises that ancestor probably prayed for the conversion of the family and that the graces, you know, she had uh, been fortunate enough to receive and she had responded to those graces. So it's, um, and she showed me the very rosary. It's a really old one, you know, with the old metal. And uh, she said the power of this prayer is extraordinary. Yeah, but every story I heard was fascinating, every single one of them. Um, I remember um, there was one, um, I'll read an extract from one from Robert Tilley, um, who is a lecturer um, in Sydney, and he wrote in his account, because he, he converted, and he said it felt as if I not only heard what it was that had been calling to me, but that I had known what I was being called to all the time. When I think of it like this, it still puzzles me. And yet that feeling that I had, a feeling that was both of the body and the soul because of the spirit, the feeling was simply, well, yes, this is it, obviously so. But although the heart said yes, nevertheless in good conscience I could not cross over to Rome for there were still doctrinal matters that I could not, in good faith, assent to. So you can see the pull Mm -hmm. in one sense spiritually and then in another sense the mind, kind of questioning, questioning, but gradually, um, you know, Robert ends up a Catholic. And it's a very interesting, beautifully recounted, exciting story. And uh, there's another convert, Robert Stove. He was the son of an atheist professor of philosophy at Sydney University, David Stove. Um, And Robert said that he was once in hospital. And how did his conversion start? A priest handed him a book about conversion stories. (laughs) And he said in reading it, he was very touched because it sort of touched on big issues and which were very salient to him at that time with a number of um, big family events and tragic events and one thing and another. And um, he really um, was led then to read some of the great intellectual lights of the church and uh, he got converted. I always think it's funny when um, he recounts in the story that where they were living in Mulgoa as children um, and his father was a professor at Sydney Uni, they, were, they had neighbours who they probably never expected to have because atheists at the time, you know, and now think that it's a very primitive state of mind to be a Catholic. You know, you really have to move on from there and, and, and become more grown up and mature and accept the scientific, secular, liberal, humanist view of the world. But you wouldn't believe who was next door to that family, the Stowe family, who lived next door. Um, it was the Schoenstatt sisters. <laughs> now, somebody up in heaven must have been having a bit of a laugh because Professor Stove thought the sisters were very nice. He, he saw the way they behaved, the way they talked, and he said, well, yeah, Catholics, of course, are very, um, you know, tunnel-visioned and don't understand reality, but the sisters are different. He made exceptions (laughs) and uh, I thought this was so nice the way that uh, the family responded honestly and nicely to evidence of 
you know, reasonable behaviour before them. And, um, and of course, Robert tells a very interesting story about his conversion and he's, he's always saying to Catholics, um, you know, get to know about your faith, you know, like this great treasure that you have in front of you. He said, never let it go. And uh, I remember too um, hearing the story of a Sufi Muslim who converted. Actually, she had been born a Buddhist, had become a Sufi Muslim and then ended up also walking past a church. So many of these conversions occur with people walking past churches and then wandering in out of, out of the blue. But she wrote at the end when she had found her spiritual home in Catholicism, she said, I would say this to cradle Catholics, I want them to appreciate the beauty of the Mass. The Eucharist is an extraordinary gift from God, the most extraordinary of all that I have encountered in all my life. Also, I think it is very important to keep an open mind and heart in life and leave everything in God's hands. If you are open to God, God definitely guides you to his heart and gives you inner peace and happiness. God works mysteriously all throughout our lives. In that quote, she kind of summed up the the sense that she got from all the different twists and turns because she converted so many times to different things but and, and even went through a Protestant version of Christianity before she came to the Catholic faith. So you sometimes wonder why is it that God leads people through four or five different worlds before they find their faith. And she's now very securely a Catholic. She's never looked. She said, this is my home. I've wandered the world and I have found my home. And I see her at Mass regularly and she runs a little prayer group. And, you know, so she's um, very happy in that. But um, that brings me to say that it's really a great sense of joy that I received in hearing these stories because, you know, that kind of resignation and gloom um, that is around nowadays, I remember Pope Emeritus Benedict spoke of it in this way. He said there's an attitude now that's a resignation that considers man incapable of truth as if this were more than he could cope with. A resignation he believes to be at heart of the crisis of the West. And I think that uh, he said, look, Catholicism is a religion of faith and um, you know, and belief. He said it doesn't abandon belief and he said it is the most reasonable of beliefs. We're not asked to believe in superstition, that uh, the capricious action of the God. We can understand something of the order of the universe. We can understand something of the, the mind of God, the extraordinary order, um, you know, surrounding us. And through things like science and the and, and, you know, nature and through the ecology that we see around us. So um, whatever the interest or the leaning of that person, God works through those gifts and that leaning in the person's life. I think the simplest conversion I ever heard of was that of Father Emmanuel Seo, a Korean um, a priest who was a Buddhist. And he grew up in uh, South Korea and... His family, it was his mother and father who were really um, very moved and amazed because once, he said, they had made a kind of a little prayer that if everything went well in a period of his father's sickness, they would really think that this was 
an action from God because the hospital that he was in was Catholic and they thought, well, we'll go and find out more about these Catholics. But they'd been fervent Buddhists until then and everything did go well with his father's state of health so they felt bound to follow it. And <laughs> Father Emmanuel said he was the last to hear about it because his sisters announced to him one day, I think we're going to become Catholics. And he said, what's a Catholic? <laughs> and they explained it all. Um, and he somehow just shifted and readjusted from one worldview to another. It wasn't, I mean, just overnight. It was, this was a gradual process. But he was so open to it. I think that's what really astounded me when he told me his story over two hours one day. He was just so open to it. I said to him, but after you've been a Buddhist, how do you accept the Trinity? And he said, well, it seems that if God is God, he can be anybody he wants. I mean, he can reveal himself in any way he wants. That wasn't a problem for me. I said, oh, so it's been a problem for many people throughout the ages. But look at you, the grace you had to kind of understand or to accept the mystery of the Trinity. And uh, now he's a wonderful evangelizer around Sydney. I feel it's such a privilege to have met him and uh, to have heard his story. And uh, But I'll never forget that story of his sisters announcing, I think we're going to be Catholics now. And he went, oh. you know. At first he was a bit disappointed because he thought Catholics were a little bit strange. But you know, he overcame that and then, as I said, he was open to subsequent questions and he became a, a Catholic out here and um, p- participated in the Korean groups um, that he joined and then eventually ended up having a vocation to the priesthood. And, uh, you know, again, he responded to that. Interesting, he told me it happened while he was travelling on a train and uh, he said, I think it was maybe somewhere around Croydon, Burwood or Strathfield, but the train's travelling and at some point he just realised, what's there to life, you know, and after you get everything, what then, what then? And then he just suddenly it fell into place. That was that moment. So there you go, conversions and, and vocations are can be obtained on the western line there of the trains, you know, so that, that should be given a halo in legend and song in Australia. Yeah. I guess as part of writing your book, you had the experience to hear a lot of different conversion stories. Did you have any tips on how to approach people who are seeking to convert? Because every story that I heard was so different, it's really hard to kind of see a pattern, but apart from the sense that when the person was searching, they had this sense often of being alone and they were looking for someone. And I think that sense of there being someone in life is, we want to know that. I mean, who can really be totally alone in life? It's just like, it's an anti-human thought. We're made for connection and for communion as God has revealed to us. And again, I um, I look at, uh, I think it's Pope Emeritus Benedict who made this comment. He said, We can rejoice that God exists, that he's revealed himself to mankind, that he doesn't leave us alone. How consoling it is to know the telephone number of a friend, to know good people who love us, who are always available and never aloof. 
and at any time we can call them and they can call us. This is precisely what the incarnation of God in Christ says to us. God has written our names and phone numbers in his address book. He's always listening. He's always wanting to contact us. And we do not need money or technology to contact him. He's always ready to welcome us. And then the words of Christ from Matthew 28, uh, Behold, I'm with you always to the close of the age. I think that that sense of the deep human search for a someone who can be trusted ultimately with the ultimate questions is there in all of us, as well as those questions I quoted from Fides et Ratio earlier that who am I, where have I come from, where am I going? The thing is that the way that you would speak to somebody who's already a Christian is a bit different. Mm. You immediately engage in certain questions because they might have questions about the primacy of the Pope, um, you know, about the, um, you know, where the Bible came from, about inerrancy of Scripture. And then you might meet somebody who's into New Age Gaia and saying everything's one, all is one, one is all, yin yang, and why worry? So you're going to speak a little bit differently there. I think in the case where people don't know Christ, the search of, there is still a search for meaning. And I think that you can approach people by asking them, saying, you know, like it's, it's just reflect mutually, perhaps with them saying it's amazing how everybody does search for a meaning in life, that we can't live without that. Like, yes, we can have food, we can have money, we can have a lot of things, but really without meaning, it wouldn't get us up every day, you know, like it, it's not just a matter of, you know, doing something because you get some money or some food at the end of it. And, and meaning can keep you going throughout um, the most difficult uh, periods. And I would then add maybe some stories and perhaps Catholic stories of endurance. For example, what about the story of Cardinal Francis Xavier Van Tun? I think that's the correct pronunciation of his name. He's a venerable at the moment. Um, he was imprisoned in 1975 and he was in solitary confinement for nine of the 13 years he was in prison. Now you imagine being in solitary confinement, the air being very dank, not fresh air. There was a little pipe at the bottom of the room and he used to try to suck air through it so he could get some fresh air into his lungs. He was alone a lot of the day. But he said, I got up, I said prayers of thanksgiving to God. He said, I kept praying. He said, I kept walking up and down in my cell to stop my body becoming too stiff. But he said, with my mind, I knew there was a God. Eventually, he befriends some of the guards. And eventually, a bit of wine and bread is smuggled into, the, um, you know, into his prison cell. And he said how precious that was in his total isolation, not knowing who or what or where, that he could say the Mass. And um, according to his sister, Agnes, who is still alive, whom I have met, Agnes Nguyen, a most marvellous lady, I uh, met her in, in a church and spoke to her afterwards. She said that um, the family was descended from Catholic converts in Vietnam. They were among the Catholic martyrs um, at the beginning 
And so down through the ages, the action of martyrs and converts has ongoing echoing effects. And so I'm getting a bit off the topic of, you know, how do you speak to people? But I think you can add that, that say that the, the belief of a person can really influence their life and, and have an echoing effect down the generation. And the search for meaning will never leave us. And I think um, if you've got very hostile people who don't believe in God and um, who attack you, it's a different question because if people don't want to listen, it's hard. But um, I remember somebody saying, you know, to a nun, I don't believe in God. And she just said very quietly, but God believes in you. And it kind of disarmed him because he didn't have anything nasty to say back after that. So you never know. At the time that you are in a challenging situation, you can say a quick prayer to the Holy Spirit Mm -hmm. and ask him to guide your words at that moment. But I think it's very important to engage with people who do have a belief if they look like they want to engage in it. For example, the Jehovah's Witness people have stopped coming to my house because they know they'll always get a big discussion from me because I ask them where their beliefs have come from and then I talk about the Catholic Church. I've given out a copy of the Catechism of the Catholic Church while they insisted that I get the Watchtower. So, you know, and the Mormons don't come anymore either because I also had several sessions of discussion with them and was able to, in a very reasonable way, hospitable way, to prove that uh, there was no extra source for their um, accounts of the origins of their particular religion um, whereas I could say in Christianity there were extra biblical sources. There was a there were sources that proved that Christ existed um, in Tacitus and I think in Pliny. But um, when I was able to prove that, they became a little bit um, puzzled and unsettled. But I didn't take that amiss. I kept saying, you know, life is a journey and we're all on it and, you know, there are things to question. And I think the important thing is not to think because you haven't converted one a person in one conversation that you give up. You always um, give witness and sometimes you don't have to say a word. It's just simply your demeanour, your the attitude you have to people and they see something in you. I've heard people say, I saw Catholics and they seemed different and it was something in their faces, something in their eyes. I don't know, they seem peaceful. That's what people have said to me. So sometimes it's just the way you behave in a peaceful way that will con- you know, just trigger some sort of questions or some conversion. And um, never be afraid to give a little throwaway line about the faith, um, you know, to tell people um, about it. You know, you can say that the Bible came from the Catholic Church, you know, the origins of it, or, you know, the Catholic Church is the church Christ founded. Um, or if people are challenging you, you say, we as Catholics believe, and then tell them what the belief is. We as Catholics, you know, to affirm that this is an ongoing, enduring um, faith and, and this is the church Christ founded. That's as much as I can say in general terms, but I think that, you know, a short prayer to the Holy Spirit before one starts to kind of engage is good as well. Not only good, it's, I think, essential <laughs> in that sense, Yeah. 
Well, thanks so much for your time, Wanda. And thanks so much for being with us here at Cradio. It was an absolute pleasure to be with you. It's a great pleasure and a great pleasure to hear your conversion story too, which we talked about beforehand. I'm very moved by it. Thank you very much, John. (laughs) Thanks, Wanda. That was Dr. Wanda Skowronska with Catholic Converts. For more information on her new book, Catholic Converts from Down Under and All Over, visit www.connorcourt.com. And for more talks, interviews and shows, visit cradio.org.au.